and welcome. It's David and Brent. Today is Friday, June 19th. And this week, we're doing a little bit of a different approach. We've been wanting to add this monthly outlook conversation about what we see and what we've been observing with respect to the crop outlook. We don't want to create another webinar in a world full of webinars. So we're just going to record this and upload it, and you can get to it when you get to it. And we're going to talk about a lot of the articles that we've been featuring, as well as the stuff that we're looking for in the coming weeks ahead. So Brent, we're gonna jump right into the June WASDE report. We had the June WASDE report out and uh, basically no really big surprises in it. Acres were left the same. Ultimately the farm price USDA is projecting for this year is really low down at 320. But I mean, I think if you look at those analyses I have done of stocks to use ratios and Indian stocks to use ratios and prices, you'll see that 320 is actually given this kind of a carry out, it's actually could be worse. I think a couple things to keep in mind. One, we have very big acreage planted. Demand has dropped quite a bit, particularly in the ethanol space, but actually look at where USDA is at on ethanol. It's actually showing a pretty good rebound from 1920. The other thing I think to note is this category, feed and residual. Now, there's always a lot of confusion about residual and what it is. It's kind of the error term, what USDA has left over when they get done. Because nobody goes out and actually measures feed use. I've seen lots of people try and say, well, there's this many cows and this many pigs and this many chickens and all that kind of stuff. But it oftentimes doesn't make a lot of sense. Just note on the demand side that this category is getting rather large and uh, something I, I think we should all watch going forward to see how much of the demand space is actually getting stuck in this category that's really unmeasured. So overall, it was pretty much what the market was expecting, but the reality is we have a potentially big crop. Now, from this point forward, we have to watch weather, yields, and all that other kind of stuff, but this kind of sets the stage for a while to say we're looking at pretty ample supplies. I think what makes this different this year, Brent, is that there's so much question about the demand side. There's always questions around the production side, but we have production and demand uncertainties. And the first thing we're going to have some resolution on here at the end of the month is the acreage number. And so that will start to move some of this towards resolution. So we have maximum uncertainty, I guess, around how this balance sheet is going to play out this year. And there's more uncertainty this year than historic years, given all the demand questions. Right. I mean, demand is just really more very, there's always uncertainty, but it's higher right now. Speaking of that uncertainty are yields and Jeff Young's been helping us. He's putting out a weekly article or video about what he's looking at for yield projections. And, you know, the growing season just getting started, but we can start to get a little bit of information here. The takeaway here, you can go read the article or watch his latest video, is the dashed line or the dotted line is the USDA's current estimate of 178.5 bushels for corn yield. And the models that he's looking at are right there or slightly above that trend uh, line. So far in the growing season, yields are coming in at the USDA's June projection or slightly above. That's important to keep in mind. And we're going to update this weekly as the growing season progresses. So you can keep following along with that one. 
The other topic Brent and I wrote a little bit about this week, Brent had this idea and he says, okay, we know how much yields vary based on history. We know how much usage varies based on history. We also know we have some planted acre estimates and we have some beginning stock estimates. So can we model a range of potential outcomes? And so we did that and we wrote a couple articles about it. So you should check those out. But we're going to discuss a few of the results here today. So this is what it looks like for corn. And this is a range of possible outcomes for the ending stock situation. So the USDA right now is at 22% ending stocks for corn for this marketing year. We're not trying to second guess that. We're trying to add to that conversation by saying, what's the range of possible outcomes? And as many of you might suspect, the probability that this model could spit out, it's a simple model, but it said that there's a 55% chance of stocks finishing out the year above 20% here for corn. Right. Go ahead. So you, you basically, we used a simulation. We ran this various scenarios a whole bunch of times trying to get a sense for how often does the weather and demand change such that we get either a whole lot more stocks or a whole lot less? Kind of interesting. It came out 20% was average, right? Right. A little bit above 20% actually, but yeah, we're right there in that 20% window. Now keep in mind. So what this is saying is that, you know, there's, you know, over 50% chance we're going to be above that in some cases, way above out here so we have really good yields every now and then you get a situation where we have low yields and decent demand but the amount you know of good outcomes actually bit better than in terms of yield uh is more than the bad outcomes so kind of trying to get a sense for you know what's the likelihood that we end up in a situation where we have tight stocks i think that's the real point that we're trying to share here is that there just isn't a whole lot of, at least today, this is 97 million acres of corn plant. This is trend yields. As the growing season goes forward, this distribution will tighten up and will move. It's just sort of a way of saying, based on early growing season conditions, how is the deck stacked? Well, right now it's stacked towards a burdensome ending stock situation. There isn't a lot of flexibility giving the acreage and the beginning stock situation for usage and yield you know, variations to move us to a tight ending stock situation. It's interesting because the probability of getting ending stocks above 30% was about the same as the probability of getting them below 14.5% or so. And so it's just, we're sort of stuck here in this high end. Not to say it can't happen, but this is where the distribution lies right. as of now. Now, the thing I think is really important to remember, remember the article I wrote about models and warning labels. I think it's really important to realize that this is just one, because we put up a graph that shows like thousands of outcomes, everybody thinks that, well, you must have got them all. Well, yes, no, maybe so, right? I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of assumptions that go into this. This is a simplified view of the world. So we want to just kind of use this as a mental exercise to say, well, what, what are the chances, you know, we get into a tight stocks to use situation? And right now, given where we're at with the amount of acres planted, the amount that we started the year with, there's not a lot of chance that we're going to end up with really tight stocks to use ratio. A lot of things have to go wrong. So we just kind of try this to get people to actually think about where are we at 
what's the likelihood that we go really tight as as you're thinking about your corn price forecasts and your soybean price forecast? Soybeans actually going to be a little bit different situation, right? Yeah, much different situation. And that's the point of what we want to share. One more quick graph. We actually went back in time and we said, okay, let's look at the conditions that were knowable in May of the last 20 years. And let's compare that to where we are sitting here in 2020. So the first slide told you how the deck was stacked. And then now we're saying, how does that compare to the past 20 years? And the takeaway here is that the corn situation as of May is more bearish towards prices here in 2020 than we've seen in the past. Now that doesn't mean we aren't going to have a positive outcome. It just means that it's not as favorable as it was in past years. And so there's a 55% chance of based on the simple model, you know, warning labels should be flashing in your mind here. There's a 50% chance of any stocks ending the year above 20%. And previously the highs were between 30 and 40% chance back in 16 or 13 and 12. And this is just setting the stage to tell you how 2020 is relative to the past. And it's not a super optimistic outlook, but that doesn't mean this is how it's going to end. And there's a soybean connection here for last year. Well, the interesting thing that jumps out in my mind is here's 2012. Okay, so the model, if we ran this model, the data as it looked in 2012, which was a drought year, it was saying, man, you've only got, you know, a 30 and what somewhere thirty around thirty five thirty eight percent chance there was a thirty eight percent chance of being above twenty percent stocks to use ratio, and we all know that that year ended with a terrible yield, so I don't remember what the stocks use ratio went to, but it was it was just saying, look, even then the model was saying well there there wasn't a great chance we we're going to have really high prices, but one of those bad outcomes really actually came in, so again, kind of a warning to say don't don't take this as like that model run was the only thing that can happen. But this year is set up with a much greater chance of ending with a lot of corn. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about soybeans. Brent, what stands out to you as you're looking at the soybean? I know exports is something that just everyone's going to be thinking about. What jumps out at you? The reality on this one, though, I think is kind of interesting because we end up with we, there's an ending stocks to use number that actually looks not huge. We're actually talking about shrinking stocks over this time period from 900 million in 18 all the way down to 300 million or four, right at 400 million in 20. So that to me is, is a big thing. And then of course, everybody's going to be watching the exports. There's debate, you know, right now as to, uh, we were just talking before this Lighthizer saying, oh, actually, you know, China's on pace to fulfill phase one. And everybody's looking at the data and going, uh, how? So that's something to watch. But ultimately, this planted area. And I think there is some, there's obviously some questions about how much corn farmers actually planted, how many acres of beans farmers actually planted. So these numbers at the top can change too. I will really be interested. I mean, this whole dicamba thing is really interesting. When you think about it for next year, what's going to happen to soybean acreage? Are companies going to be allowed to sell dicamba tolerant soybeans if there's no herbicide for them? <laughs> you know, that's that's going to be really interesting. So again, questions around production, questions around demand, 
a lot of uncertainty here. We actually did the same exercise for soybeans and got some different results. So we drew the line at 7.5%. What's the chances of stocks falling below 7.5% of use? There's about a 14% chance. Again, don't get too caught up in the specific numbers here, but there's about an equal shot of us getting into a super tight stock situation as it is maybe getting back above 20% here for soybeans. So it's a lot of distribution right around that 10 or 11% stocks to use ratio. Right in here. Right in the middle. Yeah. Here, here's one thing that's really important to consider. Here is the probability of soybean stocks to use ratio going above 20%. Looking at extremes, look at 2019. There was the model was telling us there's like an 80% chance of stocks to use for soybeans getting above 80% a year ago. That was in May, right? And guess what? Like it didn't happen. They fell a lot. I forget the exact number is around. 13 or 14%. If you actually, I dove into the, the details in the, the paper, but it was a low probability event. And, you know, part of this was, as Brent said, like ending stock or the prevent plant situation was more than we would have modeled, right? It was well outside the distribution of what was expected. And so this is highlighting this idea that don't get too focused on the outputs. Think about the big picture implications. And so uh, here we are, soybeans are in a much better situation than we've seen in the last three years, three or four years or so. And it's an improved situation from corn. It doesn't tell us how it's going to end the year. It just gives us an idea of the range of possible outcomes and how those outcomes vary from just a few years before. Keep in mind, you know, 20% stocks to use ration on soybeans is really, really bad. I mean, really, really ample, I guess. Uh, bad for prices. Uh, even worse than it would be for corn. Right. All right. So again, uh, looking at the soybean yield situation, Jeff's showing again, slightly above trend. He's somewhere in the low fifties while the USDA's June estimate was right below 50. Again, 50 bushels is going to be the, the, the magic number everyone's watching here in soybeans early in the growing season, still looking favorable. So what's, you know, we've been hearing a lot of chatter about the acreage report and this idea that we're going to switch soybean acres for corn. A lot of estimates are saying maybe two or three million fewer acres of corn, two or three million additional acres of soybeans. There's some articles circulating. One was coming out of the fertilizer side and they're saying, oh man, we could get down to 92 million acres of corn. And so we just thought like, well, that seems like a really big adjustment. So what really happens? We wrote an article about this and I'm going to share one of these slides. And we said, okay, Looking at the March WASD or the March prospective planning report versus the final, how much variation was there in the, the numbers? And generally speaking, it's more likely from history that corn and soybean acres move the same direction between March and final than this trading effect. The trading effect has only happened one time in the past 10 years is more common in the early 2000s, but we just don't see a whole lot of this trading, less soybeans, more corn or vice versa. There's also a lesson we can learn here, you know, 2019 stood out as an extreme year in the data, but generally speaking, acres, you know, moving 3% or more is a really big move. We don't see a lot of deviations, especially on the corn side of more than plus or minus 3%. In fact, a 3% move here at, 97 million initially projected in March would be 94. So it moves down to 94 million acres. 
the point here is not to say impossible for us to get below a certain threshold. That's not the point here. The point here is to say, historically speaking, we should be really careful with our assumptions that corn and soybean acres are going to swing three or 4 million and they're going to swap. And in right. fact, we have a forecast network question and it is not a given in my mind, at least that corn acres are going to come below 97 million. If you're going to play this game multiple times, multiple years, and you knew absolutely nothing about 2020, you would have to sort of assume there's a 50 50 shot of acres going higher versus lower on corn after that March report. And so we have to be careful with this idea that we're going to swing a lot of acres. It's definitely possible, but historically speaking, it doesn't happen with a lot yeah. of frequency. I think your point is, is a good one saying that, well, the, the data just don't, in history, we just haven't seen those kind of big, big inc- changes over time. Three or 4% would be a big, big move. Uh, and from a historical perspective, with the exception being huge, huge acres and prevent plants. So it's going to be interesting. I think I personally feel like there's probably going to be some reduction, but I think your point is good that the data just, you know, when you step back from it and look at it without any emotion, getting anything over 3% is usually pretty hard. We have to think about what's the chances of both corn and soybean acres coming in above their March estimates. It is a non-zero probability. The, the assumption here would be that we had less prevent plant than whatever the USDA had factored in or built in uh, sort of a base level prevent plant. It doesn't seem that isn't part of the conversation right now, but year in and year out over multiple years, that is a factor that you have to keep your eye on. So what are some additional considerations? Brent, I'm going to go through this and you can jump in at any time. We updated the article on gasoline consumption. It's improving, but still lagging. Uh, It's not improving as fast as I was thinking it would six weeks ago. You can update your forecasts on that. We've wrote about exchange rates. The exchange rates have been moving unfavorably for U.S. agriculture in the last six months, but actually there's been some improvement in the last month with respect to soybeans and the Brazil situation. Brent already mentioned the data aren't suggesting a huge uptick in China's activity. In fact, the data say we're still in the trade war rut, but the administration's still happy. The administration's, you know, Lighthouser this week sort of doubled down saying they're going to meet those commitments. And then, of course, we're watching, will there be additional announcements about direct payments and uh, maybe a future program? Reports to keep on your radar, the June 31st WASD acreage, or excuse me, the June 31st acreage report And then on July the 10th, there is the WASD report that's going to provide some updates, especially uh, some changes are likely if we see a lot of acreage shifts out of that June port. Last slide I have here, update your forecast on the acreage question. So the consensus is saying right now there's a 25% chance of corn acres coming in above 97 million. I'm a little above that actually in I really have to weigh this whole, the base level says there's a 50-50 with what's going on here in, in 2020. I think it is going to come in, but I'm, I'm hedging my bet a little bit because I think there could be a surprise. Uh, planted soybean acres above 87.5 million, about 50-50 shot according to the consensus. I'm well below that particular forecast. And then wheat acres falling below 45 million. That'd be one of those numbers that gets a lot of headlines talking about the lowest wheat acreage planted in X number of years. chance according to consensus. If you haven't forecasted this yet, it's a good opportunity to get in here, 
pick a side here and get really aggressive and maybe bump your score up a little bit if you're feeling pretty confident about this. Otherwise, keep making those adjustments and keep dialing it in. So, Brent, that's all we have flight-wise prepared. Anything else that you have on your mind or anything else that you're thinking about? Certainly, we didn't talk about any of the kind of macroeconomic stuff, and there is a ton of stuff still going on from the Federal Reserve policies to interest rates to the coronavirus situation to the economy reopening. I mean, there's, there's a lot. We could talk for hours on this kind of stuff. So I don't really have a huge amount to say other than the fact that, you know, it's time, it's time for some good news. You know, we, we need some good news in the ag space. We need some good news on the economy. Uh, it would just be nice to see good news for once as opposed to bad. And I think that's where we are here. We have a lot of uncertainty and some of these things are going to start to get resolved and hopefully they start to get resolved to the positive. There is a situation here where China starts to buy a lot of ag products and that really changes the calculus here, especially if they start to move to the edge of the usage. They move to the edge of the tail where usage starts to become historically unlikely. That really helps us if we can see China buying in a degree that wasn't otherwise expected. If ethanol recovers here, I saw some analysis being traded around here that I don't know if they have super, super insightful information or they're using really bad information, but they were assuming ethanol had a lag into the 2020, 2021 marketing year. And I don't know, like that, that doesn't seem like that's where the, the news is today, but if ethanol could improve and start to make some improvements here, maybe get some recovery, especially in the last part of this marketing year, but into the next marketing year, if we can have ethanol sort of back to normal, quote unquote, normal, that would be a positive story as well. Of course, you know, I think they were just out with a bunch more supplemental <laughs> refinery SREs, uh, refinery exemptions, yeah. small refinery exemptions just out the other day. I don't know why I keep wanting to say supplemental. SEO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just there's, there's tons of stuff to talk about. I mean, you've got Brazil, actually interesting. Brazil now, what, second worst coronavirus outbreak in the world. That's they right behind yeah. us in terms of numbers. Seems to be growing pretty rapidly down there. So will that have an impact on their ag space? I don't know, but it's something to watch. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we hope to do these uh, monthly. Send us your questions and comments and feedback, and we'll probably tackle, as Brent mentioned, there's a lot going on the macro side. We'll look to tackle those in future episodes as well. So thanks a lot. Thanks for joining Update Your Forecast, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Thank you.